Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Technically still my first cup of coffee because I haven't finished drinking it, but it's like half gone. And I have another special celebrity guest here today, uh, Lex. Hello. <laughs> Who is being my roommate for a couple days here. And you have already had your first cup of coffee. I, I've had four shots of espresso because I've been up since 5.30. Ah. Um, the, the New York State flood alarm went Ooh. off at, at 5.30. And oh, I didn't know what time that was. Yes. <laughs> yes, you fell asleep again very efficiently. I, it's one of my superpowers. But it was, I mean, I, I get up at 6 anyway, so it was like, I guess it's time to... Send Pokemon gifts to all my Pokemon friends now, and then I will go to coffee. Exalted coffee. Exalted coffee. Um, yes, I went to Gregory's, which is just sort of around the corner from Times Square. Ah. A place I have worked, been and worked before. So. so would you explain Exalted Coffee for the listeners? Because it is one of the themes of the podcast. I, I, I'm so delighted to be on a podcast about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, exalted coffee is my wife Kelly Robson's term for for a latte that just is really exemplary. Um, so in Toronto, where we live, the most exalted coffee comes from one of two places. One is called Hot Black Coffee on Queen Street, and the other is the Library um, on Dundas Street. And we live right between them, which is just about the best thing in the world. Um, I... I I would describe exalted coffee as not too bitter, you know, the the milk is, because we, we drink cow's milk, um, you know, the milk is absolutely sort of perfectly balanced with the coffee, but um, but it still has a kick. All right. uh, that would be, that would be the perfect cup of coffee for me, like not over roasted, not bitter, but you know, still with, still with some hitting power. I might have to try your exalted coffee tomorrow because as much as I am a Starbucks aficionado, which I know you're friends with me anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the Starbucks downstairs was less than satisfactory. Oh. In fact, it might be the worst Starbucks I've ever had. Mm -hmm. It was um, so hot as to be undrinkable for a good 15 minutes, Ouch. which which is like not the Starbucks way. Normally, they're no. very good. and. Um, yeah, it it's when you when you kind of go to the twee fancy places when you're a horrible coffee snob. The the challenge is often getting the coffee um, hot because because baristas don't want to overcook any part of it. So right. they, they tend to to aim just a little bit lower than what we think of as the sort of ideal drinking heat. Um, so and if you say extra hot, they make that. Oh, you're oh, you're you're in the you're wrong place. <laughs> I thought I thought the point of Starbucks was it was push button and it was standardized. There must be something wrong with their machine. It's not it's not push button at all. No, no, no. They have baristas who make it, but oh. they but they're supposed to. I mean, they're they're like all highly trained and they're supposed to like get the fucking temperature right. Yeah, but that no, was, but that, no. That's sad. Yeah, that's sad. I'm sad your coffee was bad. Well, yeah. I mean, my my first cup at Gregory's was excellent. The second one was mind-blowingly good oh so, was so. it a different person or yeah, oh. yeah. six six a.m coffee places they tend to you know they only send one poor soul in to sort of man the man the what's the word i want human the human the trenches <laughs> human the trenches for the first yeah. few moments and yeah um, 
but I have fondness for that place because we were we were here maybe 15 months ago and it was it was a very stressful week for a bunch of reasons and as is often the way in publishing someone had sent me copy edits with a I'm sorry I'm sorry I know your life is shit but um, I need these in four days right anyway yeah. <laughs> good luck it's my fault it's my fault but I still need them in four days so right. I, I, I was at Gregory's eating a lot of uh, honey toasts and drinking a lot of coffee and trying to get a 24,000 word document to do track changes on an iPad. Oh no. Um, yeah, it was, oh. it was, oh. um, I'm philosophical about a lot of things, but it, it did not help the overall tenor of that week to be trying to do that particular thing through that kind of a technological bottleneck. Uh, you know, like people have those signs, it's it's usually the like the passive aggressive office worker type mm -hmm. has the sign that says your lack of planning Thanks. does not constitute an emergency on my part, and uh, that's true except for in publishing. In which case, your your editor's lack of planning is always an emergency yes. on the writer's part. <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's not the editor; it's more the production department has sort of held off. Yes, things. And, and with my book publisher, I, I find. Um, if I tell them repeatedly, these are the weeks when I'm going to be on the road and you're not going to be able to get anything out of me at speed at this time. Um, so far, Knockwood, that has always worked out, but this was this was a novella and I wasn't expecting it to come with the, and now you must turn this around faster than death right. kind of request. Yeah, I've actually never had a, a very fast turnaround. My, my people have always been really good about yeah observing times or giving me a long enough turnaround that mm. I can work it into what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about what you're, you were sitting at the coffee shop and you were working on your novel, like a good writer kitty. I was, I was, I was very well behaved. Um, cause I, <laughs> I didn't necessarily plan to write a lot of fiction this week, but, um, I, but there was a flood, but there and... was a flood and I was oh. up and I did a bit of, <laughs> teaching because I teach creative writing online and then uh, I was like yeah I'm gonna stay here and have another coffee and work on my book some more uh, it, the book is called Deal Breaker it's the sequel to um, Game Changer which is coming out in September September and what September 17th mm. yes but I always love that part on the talk shows where the person like the celebrity deliberately pimps whatever it is they're there to pimp right you know, by the way do you have a movie coming out <laughs> Why, yes. I totally have a movie coming out, except it's a book, and it's September 17th. Um, so tell us about Game Changer. Game Changer is set in the year 2101. It's, uh, we sometimes call it a hopetopia, which means it's uh, an optimistic near-future science fiction novel where essentially uh, humanity gets to retain its foothold in Earth's ecosphere, where we, we remediate some of the problems we've created now that are that are resulting in climate change and after much hard work and pulling together and some sacrifices uh, we we've ended up with a society not completely divorced from the one we're in now we get to keep some of the shiny things we love about the world we live in which as i sit in this hotel in this amazing city i'm, I'm very much in love with today so yeah it's um it's fun being here in New York City. It I, is. Which it's not normally how I react to being in New York City, but maybe it's with these dramatic thunderstorms and 
I don't know. It just feels fun and exciting. Yeah, and... yeah. I was very nearly skipping back from the coffee shop, I just the, which had nothing my... to do with your four shots of espresso. No, no, actually, because I had toast and that made me kind of groggy. So I'm, I'm in a good balance <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, four, four shots of espresso is not a gimme for making me skip. Ah, uh, um, okay. But um, yeah. It's, this is one of those days where it's like I look at these incredible towers and I we have a great view from my room. Think about the fact that I have a computer in my pocket that you know could hypothetically pilot a somewhat primitive rocket to something else in our solar system. And you know, if I want to send my wife a picture of anything I see, I can just do it. Um, it, it we do get very accustomed to how miraculous that is. Yeah. But I love those moments when, when I remember, like, holy shit, like, a couple hundred years ago, none of this was available to us. Right. Um, and I've been watching a lot of, of documentaries on um, historical farming techniques. <laughs> the one that Kelly was trying to talk me into yes, watching at we, NEB conference. We, <laughs> we're, we're, we've gone a little mad for the, like, monastery, Tudor monastery farm genre from BBC to... Um, and you just, you look at, oh, they just did without that. And then, oh, they had this and that seems pretty good, but they had to burn down two quarters of a forest to do it. Um, and then turn that wood into charcoal before it would actually do the thing they wanted it to do. Right. They had to burn some wood to get better wood to make metal implements. And you're like, oh my God, and that took days, days. I could walk into home hardware and buy all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Though I would not. So it was funny <clears throat> when we were at Nebula Conference, because we'd mm -hmm. already been there for a few days. Yes. And, and 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 kind of getting tired. We'd been doing all the things, and Kelly and I were doing Sephwa board meeting stuff, and we had that great M Club deal where we could go down and, yes. and get breakfast and coffee first yes. thing in the morning. Not exalted coffee. No, that was undrinkable coffee. <laughs> I had contingencies in place. Oh, that's good. You're smart. But... You know, like I met up with Kelly. I don't think you were there. No, you weren't there. No. You, you the two off. days of CIFWA meetings, you guys did your thing. and I Right, you went off and did writer things. But Kelly was telling me about this Tudor farming <laughs> thing. And, and Kelly is a very enthusiastic person. I mean, she's a big personality. Uh, and when she loves a thing... She loves it. She loves it. And so it was like 7 in the morning... And she's telling me about how I should be watching this Tudor farming <laughs> show. And, and she'd been talking for about five minutes, explaining it to me and everything. And finally she stops and she looks at me and she said, I feel like I'm not winning you over. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, Kelly, I'm, I'm not a fast waker-upper. And, <laughs> like, and really I just... Yeah, I, I, I can't take in that many words right now. Because now that like you've talked about, I was thinking, oh, I could see why she's telling me about it, because it you, would work for the book that I'm working on. And... You, you have, you've had a few months to assimilate that that's part of the thing coming at you with us. Yes. Too. <laughs> yeah, I, it's ridiculous. We've watched so much of it in such a short expanse of time, and sometimes you're like, oh my god, they're going to make bricks again. They're going to kill them. And you're like, <laughs> everyone else is watching Stranger Things and like getting this huge narrative excitement out of that and we're like build another kill build another kill <laughs> that's 
hysterical. Yeah. Okay, so we should get back to your book because people oh, hear about my stuff all yes. the time. But um, so, Game Changer, Hopetopia, Fantastic right. City. So, one of the things that that hasn't sort of come together um, perfectly in the future is that the fragmentation of careers that we're seeing um, right now, with especially with the millennial generation and Generation Z, and the where, gig economy, and the gig economy, where everyone has three or four little half-assed part-time jobs, is still a thing. And the the main character Ruby is therefore pursuing a career in law. She's a public defender, and at the same time, she has a career in uh, VR gaming. So she does kind of uh, this very athletic form of simulated combat VR. Uh, fantasy role-playing games is her other gig and they've both become just successful enough that she's got that other thing that that we find in the gig economy where she's working more than full-time and she's starting to get to a point where she might have to consider choosing one or the other and they're both really compelling and they both have a do-gooder aspect because she's a very committed social do-gooder type um, but her her public defender career has got her this trip to Paris because there's a, a guy there who's an extraordinarily difficult person and she's good with difficult people. Uh, she has family members who are mentally ill. And so she's she's gotten a chance to fly to Paris despite the carbon cost um, to work with this guy who has become so violently unpopular on social media that he basically can't afford his rent or food anymore. Huh. Um and um, so wait, is that the same guy that was in the novella, the freezing with a chance of falling? no, actually, the the guy in freezing rain, a chance of falling is Ruby's father. Oh, okay. Um, so this this idea of Internet shaming does kind of continue continue through, the, through. Okay. through the series a bit. Um, I, I cycle around back to it. So so, yes, in, in the novella, Dro has this incredibly tough time because he becomes briefly socially very unpopular but he kind of pulls out of it he goes on to have a life and and this adopted daughter and then um partly through dealing with him and his trauma as sort of a a caretaker role through her life she develops this knack for being good with people who are often quite fragmented and she gets this gig um and and i'm gonna interrupt you once yeah. more which that, i mean that's part of the brand here on first cup of interrupted cow I, I interrupt myself all the time and go off on tangents yeah. uh one of the things I really liked about the world that you set up, and it's freezing rain with a chance of falling. Yeah. And that's out. That's on. Yeah. That came out in the magazine Fantasy and Science Fiction uh, about this time last year. Okay. And it was um, it was on the ballot for the Theodore Sturgeon Memorial Award, which was kind of exciting. Congratulations. did not win. Yeah. Um, which is fine. And um, I, I actually have it on my Curious Fiction's stream now and it's also been reprinted in one of the year's best in neil clark's year's best okay and he's about to reprint it in forever as well oh so. good well one of the things i loved about that world speaking of the internet shaming was i loved the idea that you could somehow like gain and lose material credits that people could either award you points or take points away and that that translated into real world consequences mm -hmm. you know like whether or not you could access food or lodging or good right. jobs or whatever. In, in the novella, that economy is still developing. And in, in Game Changer, it's kind of set into a thing where it's um, a minimum a minimum income system for everyone. So everyone's food and, food and accommodations and basic medical and education are kind of taken care of. But if you're, if you're living at that level and you're not earning anything else, it's, it's a fairly 
fairly tight existence and some of your support services might be ad supported oh. um, but if you're if you are doing well in the social economy so if you're earning strokes through virtue signaling strokes, and that those was what sorts of things it, yeah. um, then what it basically gets you is this, this fund of social capital on top of your actual what's in your bank account and what that gets you basically is access to premium service tiers so you can subscribe to better levels of everything for for less money if you are popular um, and it's it's a very Canadian way of sort of creating a, a social pressure system where people have to behave pro-socially because otherwise people are going to wag their fingers at them and give them strikes. Um, <laughs> But, so, so you're basically monetizing Canadian politeness. Canadian politeness or Canadian <laughs> passive aggressiveness, depending on how you, you look at it. I mean, the, the two kind of edge up against each other. Right. <laughs> right. But it's, it, it creates when you're writing in this sort of universe or you're, or you're reading it, like because Kelly, of course, has been reading these books and we talk about the social capital system a bit. Um, it creates this weird worldview where you'll you'll actually see someone throw their coffee cup on the street and you'll like, I wish I could give you a strike right now. Um, right. <laughs> or you'll sometimes do something pro-social, like pick up the cup and throw it away for them for the imaginary stroke. Right. Uh, because you're like, I'm being pro-social. Um, well, you and I were talking about like emotional bank accounts. Yeah. 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 Sure. Which is a similar thing. Yes. Yes. Or I, I sometimes use a coupon system too, or... Um, like I was, I was at an event the other day and, and this lovely woman, um, burlesque performer was saying, you know, I need to give fewer fucks. And I was like, give me your fucks. She's like, what? I was just, just hand them over, give them to me. I'm always short of fucks. Um, and so I carried her imaginary fucks around for a week and then Kelly said, no, no, I could use them. So I gave them to her. And oh. I am out of fucks. I don't know what Kelly wants them for. Um, but yeah, because Kelly really often does not. Does not. But that's probably why she needed them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she knew she was going to have a particularly challenging meeting. Well, or well something. I did ask her since I'm doing so much intense travel in July and August to, to you know, sort of keep me apprised on Sequoia board stuff mm -hmm. and, you know, just to, to speak for me or, you know, give me the, uh, you know, send up a flare if I really needed to weigh in on something. So right. she might have needed some fucks right. so that she could be me. Sort of. Oh. Yeah, because you give fucks. I do give fucks. That's huh? lovely. Is it? <laughs> if you have them to give. If I still had Belle's fucks, I would have given them to you. It, oh, well. If Kelly still has them, you can ask her for them. That's, well, I, actually, I'm very happy to have her. Um, I can't think of the, what the word I want is to be like my, my proxy. Mm -hmm. she, she, she can be the proxy fuck giver. Yeah. For me. And, that's that's yeah. a... So you could imagine a an electronic economy where you could actually make those into I, I virtual. Find it fa fascinating. Virtual it's a great places. idea. And there's there is a marker system in Game Changer where there, it starts with Dro from the novella um, and his his uh, electronic uh, sidekick app. Uh, they have this private economy of tokens, like who owes who, and they actually have virtual coins for it. Um, and it it becomes a weird plot problem for them later. Um, 
Sounds cool. Yeah. And so now your work, so that comes out, It's that one's in the can because it's coming yeah, out. It's September. got a beautiful cover. It's getting good reviews. And uh, now we're just waiting to see if bookstores will order it in massive quantities. That That's what we want. That is what we all pray for. <laughs> and so you're working on the sequel. I'm working on the sequel. I'm perishingly close to being able to put the draft into my agent, my editor, yeah. um, which is surprising and exciting. Now, does your agent review stuff at the same time as your editor and give um, input? Or? I'm, I'm hoping, I'm a little late on delivering it, um, although that is not entirely my fault. So I'm, what I'm, my dream is that my agent will read it once first and give me a few notes and then I can revise it and throw it to them both at the same time, maybe at the end of summer. Oh. Um, but I have yet to see them. I'm seeing them both tomorrow. So we'll, we'll find out if my idea that this is a good plan is actually a good plan. Um, and if not, we'll, we'll negotiate. If, if what's a good plan? The giving it to of... my agent first. And oh, then, I see. And I then see. Just sort of, cause that'll probably add a month to the process at least. Right. But my agent does not, um, after she, she reviews and edits well, we're working up for a submission. Mm -hmm. But after that, she's like, you know, if you really want me to read it, I will. But she doesn't need to. And it just, right. she's happy to leave me just to interact with my editor on stuff. Right. Well, this is a, still a fairly new agent relationship. So some of it That's might be true. that she's getting getting used to me and I'm getting used to her. But I, I do really appreciate it. And um, because Game Changer takes place in this kind of weird future where uh, a good number of the scenes take place in VR, and it bounces all over the world. Like it takes place in Paris and London and Miami and um, Toronto um, and probably other places as well. Um, that's the real world stuff. And then there's VR. Like it, it was. There were things about it that were confusing, and and she really grappled with ways to make it widely comprehensible. So, and and offered that to me. So I was very pleased with that. That's great. Yeah. 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 That's something I end up doing with Sarah as well, especially with me being crossover to romance, you know, mm -hmm. and targeting commercial fiction. She, like, will highlight some of my $5 words and yes. stranger terms. And she's like, I don't even know what this is. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. I, I love world building, but I, it is very easy to sort of descend into your own hole and then not realize that you're so far down it that nobody else can see it. <laughs> Everybody's sort of still yeah, up like, on the sidewalk peering down at you yeah. going, are you down there in the dark? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you talking about that? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Why are you talking about the interest rate on the minimum income? <laughs> but it's exciting. It's no, not. Actually, it's not. no. The interest rate isn't that exciting in the real world, honey, unless you're an economist. So today we're going to go off and see some galleries. I'm going to so, go yes. have brunch with a friend. Mm -hmm. And then tonight, Alexander Hamilton. And I'm not going to miss my shot. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, um, I, I had, I often avoid spoilers. I don't know if you know this. I often avoid spoilers on things I'm excited about. And I knew one day I would come to Hamilton and it, it would happen to me and it would be amazing. So so I avoided being spoiled on Hamilton. I, I knew sort of his biography, of course, because I'm an American history nerd. Um, 
until you and I bought tickets to the show. And then, then I bought the soundtrack and then I started listening to it. So that was like, I've only really quite recently come into oh. um, being familiar with, with the Hamilton soundtrack. And, and uh, it's been such a delight. It's, it, it's so, it's just really brilliant. It's yeah. an amazing accomplishment, I think. So, so tomorrow morning we will podcast again. Where in we shall? Yeah, that's exactly what I anticipate. So at least we got all of the book stuff out of the way today. Yes, yes. Did you podcast about Amanda Palmer when we went to that? I did. Yeah, I did talk about that. Yeah. Did you talk about being staying in a hotel mere steps from the venue? Yes, that because was great. Because we are doing that again. We are doing that again. This like is like you our, walk out of our this thing. hotel and you're like, there's the door to the Hamilton Theater. Right. And that just worked out that way because yeah. the RWA National Conference happens to be here in the Marriott Marquis on right. Times Square. And it's like, yeah. And you're going to go see another show tomorrow night. Yes, I'm going to go to see Beetlejuice tomorrow. Okay. I, I only just realized Beetlejuice was a thing when the Tony Awards happened. And I oh. was like, ah, I'll be, I'm, oh. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, and I couldn't because I have to go do RWA things, but I'm, I'll be anxious to hear how yeah. it is. I went by the theater yesterday and took a picture because it's, it's, it's got this big marquee and it says Beetlejuice, the musical, the musical, the musical. That's <laughs> great. Ah! <laughs> um, and the theater is called the Winter Garden, and we have a Winter Garden in Toronto, so there's this sort of like, I was like, oh, weird. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. All right, well, let's wind up for today so we can go okay. look at things. Do we pitch coffee? Drink coffee. Coffee's good. Coffee's good. Go there have you. your second cup. <laughs> there you go. That's a good pitch. I like that, Andy. Yeah. All right. Well, Delicious, beautiful, addictive coffee. And I realized I totally forgot to say the date, which my listeners are accustomed to because I often forget to say the date. But today yeah, is we, Tuesday, you know it. July 23rd. Because we have tickets. Because we have tickets yes. to Hamilton. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, tune in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 24 hours. Be here or be queer. <laughs> well, or, but or you are queer. queer. I mean, true. I am very queer. Yeah, no, it's all right. Okay. <laughs> we will stop now. Yes. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.